Thank you. Morning, everybody. I saw the kids were gathered over on the left-hand side, so I went and planted myself over there. So if you've got uh, children or grandchildren over there, I've, uh, I've been praying for them. I got quite, uh, actually, I got quite worked up praying for one young fella. Uh, had a little bit of a tearful moment there as I was considering the work that God wants to do in his life and what God will do through him. So it's a lovely day to be in Canterbury, isn't it? It's very familiar. Um, uh, I'm from Tauranga, the uh, now city uh, that never has a summer. And um, uh, it's been my privilege over the last, well, during this year, I've been traveling uh, all, all around the nation and I've been to all the places where there are uh, big scars in our land from, um, from storms and things. But I, I also, th- there are shoots little green shoots of awakening all over, all over New Zealand. And as a nation, we've been through a pretty tumultuous time, and yet in the middle of it, I, I was in Waikanae at a youth camp. When the young man invited me to come to this youth camp, I felt like I needed to send him a selfie just to let him know that I wasn't, you know, hip and happening and wearing skinny jeans. But I, so anyway, I went there, and I just felt to give these young people, there were about 250 of them, uh, to give them a Revelation 12:11 altar call to come to Jesus. We come by the blood of the Lamb. We overcome by the word of our testimony, and we love not our lives so much even as to shrink back from death. And I am happy to report that as I gave that altar call, probably about 200 young people physically ran to the front to surrender their lives wholeheartedly to Jesus. <laughs> I'm thinking that's much better than you're thinking that is. I just thought that was marvelous. And then two weeks ago, I was up at Whangaparoa, and uh, they said, uh, we're, having a, we're having an evening meeting, and the young people will be there, and we, we really want you to go for it and, and bring a move of God among the young people, but you, a, you've only got 15 minutes. And I was thinking, oh boy, we're going to have to move that along pretty quickly. So again, I, I gave them an altar call, and all these young people came out the front, and I was praying for this one young lady. I, I think her name was Isabel. And I was praying for her, and the Holy Spirit was touching her in such a powerful way. And I'd invited their friends to come and just stand there and support. You know, if they've got a friend out the front, I said, come out, stand beside, behind them, put your hands on their shoulders and support them. And anyway, I was praying for this girl, and the girl behind her was standing there with her eyes wide open, looking at her friend, getting touched by this unseen presence. And so I turned to her friend and I said, are you doing okay there? And she, she looked at me and gave me this sort of this, yeah, like this, like I'm, I'm shocked, but I'm okay. I said to her, have you ever been baptized in the Holy Spirit? And she looked back at me and went, I said, have you ever surrendered your life to Jesus? And again, she looked at me and she said, I said, do you want to? And she said, yes. And we got to lead her to the Lord right there. I got her friend to turn around and lead her to Jesus. <laughs> ah, such fun. And then um, uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I was in Nelson. And um, uh, I was at this event. It was called the School of Revival. And, uh, and I was one. There were six speakers at this event. So it was great, great fun. And so I came and I dutifully put my, my jacket and my, you know, my bag on the front seat. You know, that's where you're supposed to sit when you're a guest speaker. And um, I went to walk around and talk to a few people. And when I came back, my, my bag and my jacket was still there. But 
they'd, everyone had crowded in and they'd pushed the seats together and now to sit in that seat would be like one of those horrible middle seats on the aeroplane. You know those horrible, if you get a boarding pass that says you're in a B seat or an E seat, you know, you want to change. And so I, I was like, I don't want to sit there. So I grabbed my jacket and my iPad and I went down the back, and now I'm sort of roaming around the back, feeling a little bit like a, you know, like a, like a Nigel no mates, you know. Sorry if anyone's called Nigel. I'm not saying you have no mates, but I was wandering around, and I, I had no mates back there, and I, I thought, oh well, I'll just, I'll just hang out here. And a young lady came up to me and said, oh, I was hoping I'd get to talk to you. I brought a friend tonight. Will you pray for her? And so we prayed for her, and she got hit by the Holy Spirit and wound up on the floor, and led her to Jesus right in the back row. So I spent, except when I was speaking, I spent the whole time in the back row. This happened three times. There is something beginning to stir across our land. We are a land that has experienced a lot of uh, turbulence and pain. And I love how you were singing about, um, uh, you know, that uh, raise a hallelujah. I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. How many of you in your life or in your family, you've experienced something of a storm even, even this year? Raise your hand if there have been been some storms. Okay, well, I, I hope I've got something for you. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to open them or turn them on to Matthew chapter 21. And this has particular application also, uh, something in this passage, particularly for the kids as well. So in Matthew 21, here comes Jesus and he's coming into Jerusalem. You know the story. He's coming in and the crowds are shouting Hosanna as he comes in riding on the donkey. How many of you are familiar with this story? The crowds are throwing their jackets on the ground and, and, and here comes Jesus into Jerusalem. Straight after he arrives in Jerusalem... The next thing he does is he goes to the temple, the Jerusalem temple. This was the center of, of Jewish faith. It was like their, their, their inner sanctum for their faith. And he goes into the temple and what does he do? This passage tells us the story. He turns over the tables of the money changers and those that were selling doves and he drives them out and he makes the statement. He says in verse 13, my house shall be called a house of, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then this happens. Look at verse 14. Then, when, after he's turned over the tables, after he's made this declaration, my house shall be called a house of prayer, it says, then the blind and the lame came to him right there in the temple and he healed them. And then if you look at verses 15, 16, and 17, you see two very contrasting reactions. The scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were angry and indignant, and they started to give him a bit of a dressing down. But look at what the children are doing. The children are still shouting, Hosanna. So the religious leaders hated it, but the children were still rejoicing and shouting Hosanna. All right, let's look at two, uh, a few things relating to this. 
Jesus comes into Jerusalem. Jerusalem was then and is still now a city that is waiting for their Messiah to come. Unfortunately, they missed his first coming and they're still waiting for him to come. So when you go to Jerusalem, as you walk through the streets, on the lampposts, there are these flags with designs done by children. And they're talking about longing for the Savior to come, longing for Messiah to come. And so here is a city that's lived with this longing for the Savior to come for centuries. And so here comes Jesus into Jerusalem and the multitudes begin crying out, Hosanna. And they're quoting Psalm 118, which is a Bible verse prophesying that the Messiah will come. So picture it, the city that has been longing for the Lord to come, they're crying out Hosanna and they're, they're waving palm branches and they're laying down their coats. Then the very next thing, he goes into the temple. Now here's something we need to know about the temple. The temple had very strict religious protocols. There were requirements of certain things that had to be made as sacrifices to meet these religious requirements. They had to offer dove, a dove for a particular sacrifice. But here's the thing, you couldn't bring your own dove, you had to buy a dove there. There was no BYO dove, you had to buy a dove there. And you couldn't use the money that you used out in the streets, you had to bring your regular money and convert it into temple money and they would extort you with ridiculous exchange rates. So after you've been ripped off, think about how annoying this would be, you get ripped off changing your money and then you pay an inflated price for the dove that you have to have for the worship in the temple. It's a ripoff followed by a ripoff. Does anyone in the room not like being ripped off? Hate being ripped off. So what does Jesus come? He comes in and he sees the rip-off money changers. Hey, that was a pretty good dart, by the way. He sees the rip-off money changers and he sees the rip-off dove sellers. And what does he do? Does he just look and go, ah, oh, oh well, just let it slide? No, he turns over the tables. Can you imagine the racket? Can you imagine the sound of the tables turning over and the money going on the floor and people shouting out, Oi, what are you doing, mate? And then he turns over the tables where the rip-off dove sellers are doing their stuff and there's probably doves making dove noises and there's clattering and there's banging. And then he makes this statement. My house will be a house of prayer. My house will be a house of prayer for the nations, but you have made it into a den of thieves. So what is he doing? He's coming in and he's taking the system that advantaged a small number of religious elites and disadvantaged the majority of the common people. He takes the system and he breaks the back of it. He says, I'm taking this faith away from these religious elites and I'm giving it to ordinary, everyday, common folk. Oh, 
And he says, my house will be called a house of prayer. So some people were outraged, the ones that stood to lose something. But those that stood to gain something were delighted. And then look what happens next. Right there in the middle of the chaos, it says the blind and the lame came to him and he healed them. How many of you know someone that needs healing? How many of you are wearied by praying for people for healing and not seeing healing come? It says the blind and the lame came and right there in the temple, in the middle of the mess, he healed them. And then what do we see? The religious leaders who likely benefited from this rip-off system were indignant. They were like, who do you think you are? What, what do you think you're doing? How dare you? And they were also indignant because why? The children were still yelling, Hosanna. So the kids were loving it. The religious elites were hating it. But the kids were loving it. And Jesus was saying, I'm taking my kingdom away from a few religious elites and I'm giving it to the children. And that word can also mean the servants, the slaves, the lowly in heart. He was taking the kingdom of God away from the religious elites and giving it to the common people. What statement did he make about his house? See, we're here today and we are in a church gathering. We are in something that you could refer to as a, as a house of God, the gathering of God's people. And here's what Jesus said. He said, my house will be a house of prayer. Now in that context, he was pointing at a big grand temple and saying, my house will be a house of prayer. And sometimes we look at the church and we go, oh, you're the church. That's that building we drive past or that gathering we go to. And so when you see my house will be called a house of prayer, you start sitting there and going, all right, Andre, it's time to schedule more prayer meetings. If the church is going to be a house of prayer, we need more prayer meetings. And we sit there and we lay the responsibility on the front row to make the church a house of prayer. How many of you suspect that's not what he's talking about? All right. You're all looking quite suspicious of me. Is it my North Island accent? My house will be called a house of prayer. How many of you honestly have ever been to a prayer meeting that you actually didn't really enjoy? Can I tell you honestly, I used to hate prayer meetings. Prayer meetings just seemed to me like a bunch of grumpy people standing in a circle shouting at God to try and make him do something. And if he wants his house to be a house of that, I'm like, I'm looking for another house. My house will be called a house of prayer. Not my house, a physical building. The word that's translated there is oikos. It means my family. My gathering, my people will be a house of prayer. So it doesn't mean we sit here and go, all right, Andre, more prayer meetings need to be scheduled. You heard the man. Schedule more prayer meetings. No. My house will be a house of prayer means you and I 
even individually, we become a house of prayer. And immediately we start, some of us start to go, oh no, I'm not very good at prayer. I don't really like prayer. I don't know what to say when I pray. Can I share something with you that might help you with that? No, all right, amen, we're done. <laughs> who, who would like to be helped with something to do with prayer, which might be the key that unlocks the church being what the nation needs us to be? If Jesus says, my house is a house of prayer, if we don't pray, we're not his house. There must be something more to prayer than just people standing in a circle shouting at God for there to be a good church service. In Isaiah 56 verse 7, it says this, I will give them, my people, he says, I will give them joy in my house of prayer. What? Joyful prayer? Enjoyable prayer? All right. In the book of Judges, sorry, Nehemiah, in Nehemiah 8 verse 10, it says this, the joy of the Lord is your strength. So he says, I'll give them joy in my house of prayer. And he says, the joy of the Lord is our strength. So the joy of the Lord is our strength. Does that mean God shows up and he makes us happy? And when we're happy, we're strong. How many of you are not happy all the time? How many of you had a moment even before this morning where you weren't happy? Some of you are not looking particularly happy now. There must be something more substantial than when I'm joyful, I'm strong in God. You know the statement, the joy of the Lord is your strength, has nothing to do with your emotions. It's nothing to do with God making you joyful. It's the joy of the Lord. It's not your joy, it's His joy. It's His joy over you. It's the fact that He enjoys you. Oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Most Christians just feel like God kind of tolerates them. They feel like, well, you wake up in the morning and God looks and goes, oh, well, there you are again. I may have told you this story previously, but I remember this one morning when my daughter, who's now in her mid-twenties, when she was about 13, I'm, I'm an early bird. I get up much earlier than anyone else in the family. And I remember this day, I was in the kitchen in our house and she came out and she was wearing her onesie. And she had her hair messed up and she still had creases from the pillow on her face. And she was in that 13-year-old semi-zombie state heading for the breakfast cereals. But dad was in the kitchen. And I saw her come in and I said to her, I said, oh, Courtney Hope, that's her name. I said, oh, Courtney Hope, I love you. And she looked back at me kind of like, well, you kind of have to, you're my dad. And I thought, oh, here's a moment to grab her face. I've always been, not in an abusive way, I've always been a face-grabbing father. I like to grab their face. I like to hold them by the cheeks and look them in the eye like this. And so I grabbed her face and I looked at her and I said, not only do I love you, but I like you. 
I love the sound of your voice. I love the, the shape of your face. I love the smile that can only radiate from your face. I enjoy you. Got her by the face. And she looks back at me and kind of goes, oh, it's a bit early in the morning for that, isn't it, Dad? <laughs> what about a God who enjoys you? What about a God who, when you woke up this morning, was not waiting for you to be joyful, to be strong. But what about if there is a strength that can sing in the middle of the storms because you are enjoyed by God? One time when we lived in Nelson, I, was, I used to pray in my garage in Nelson. And so I would, the, the cars would be parked, one there and one there, and I would pace up and down, back and forth in the garage. I'd put some music on the stereo in my lime green Toyota Camry and I'd be pacing back and forth. And I used to hate prayer, but I remember this day I was pacing back and forth and I was absolutely enjoying it. My, my heart was burning with love for Jesus. My mind was just filled with joy over, over his goodness and his eternal characteristics. And I was pacing back and forth and I said out loud, oh, I enjoy this. And then I realized it wasn't this that I was enjoying. I said, God, I enjoy you. You know what happened next? Immediately as clear as anything I've ever heard God say, I heard him say, I enjoy you too. Well, that was the end of my prayer time. I wound up on the floor, you know, doing that laughing, crying, snorting thing. You know, where you just, I, was on the, I was on the concrete in the garage for 45 minutes, laughing and crying and rolling around. Eventually, I peeled myself off the floor and went back to bed at about 11 o'clock at night. And I went back and I hopped into bed. And the next day, it was a Friday, I used to have Fridays off. And the next day, it was a, it was a cold, drizzly, wet winter's day. And so my wife and I, instead of going for a walk, which we would normally do, we went to a cafe in downtown Nelson called Cafe Affair. Now, I don't know how you like your coffee, but I like mine in the big venti cup that warms your whole hand up. You know, like I like, I, I want a cup that I can warm my hands up. But Cafe Affair is a little bit posh. And you get your, your coffee in a, in a glass, you know, in a glass cup. And, it, you know, it's got a handle and you sort of... You, you, you drink it like this. It's a little bit tutti-flutti. And the cafe was packed because it was a winter's day and we're on the couch beside the fireplace drinking our tutti-flutti coffee, coffee and our very nice muffin. And my wife said, said, sounded like you had a pretty good prayer meeting last, a pretty good prayer time last night. I said, you hear that, did you? She said, you think? <laughs> and she said, tell me about it. And so I told her what had happened. And right there in the cafe, when I said how God had said to me, I enjoy you, I got hit with the same joy in the cafe. And I'm trying to sit on the couch, trying to subtly laugh and cry and snort while, without making too much of a fool of myself. Listen to me. The joy of the Lord is your strength. His joy, not your subjective joy that can come and go depending on circumstances, the joy of the Lord is your strength. I will give them 
joy in my house of prayer. How does he give us joy? By affecting our circumstances? No, that's not the primary way he gives us joy. He gives us joy by filling us with the knowledge of how much he loves us, how much he enjoys us, and that joy makes us strong to stand in the middle of the storms. To stand there when it feels like everything seems to be racing away to hell in a handcart, but you stand in the middle of that storm and you know, even in the midst of this turmoil, I know that my eternal everlasting Father enjoys me. Right now, right here today, the uncreated eternal God is enjoying you right now. I'm not doing anything to give him joy. I've been hanging out with my grandson. He's 18 months old, and I've been hanging out with him. And you know what? Even if I look at pictures on my iPad of him, just the pictures give me joy. You don't have to be doing anything to earn this joy. God just enjoys you. And you know where one of the primary manifestations of the overflow of that is about to come? God's about to, in our land, pour out His Spirit on the children and the young people and make them to be a sign and a wonder. Do you know why He's going to do it with the children and young people? It's not at the exclusion of the adults, but the devil thinks he owns our kids. And God's about to raise a standard among them and say, they're mine. And he's going to fill them with the joy of the Lord. Our children have been raised outside of believing families to believe that they are chance evolutionary accidents. And God is about to stamp his mark of fatherly ownership on their lives. And they are going to be like the children in the temple. And the religious elites might be sitting there going, oh, this is is messing up our service. And God's going to be saying, I'm doing it anyway. Things are about to get gloriously messy. All right. I'm getting carried away now. How long have I got? Oh, nearly out of time. How many of you love the book of Job? Job 38, 39, and 40 is one of the most glorious parts of the whole of the Word of God. It begins like this. Like, how, how, many, how many of you love when there's prophetic ministry and you get a word. Don't you love that? I love that because it's so much harder to get a word for yourself than it is to have someone prophesy over you. I think God's designed it that way because he wants us to be a family. He wants us to be connected. No one of us can be an island. But imagine this. Imagine you have a prophet come to one of your gatherings and he begins like this from Job 38. Brace yourself like a man and I will speak to you. Put yourself in Job's shoes. God says this to him, brace yourself like a man and I will speak to you. How many of you know that's a little less casual than we approach prophecy? Brace yourself like a man and I will question you and you will answer me. Holy smokes. And then look at this. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footings set? Or who laid its cornerstone? Here's God, he's speaking, giving a window into the creation that we are a part of. And look at this. 
On what were its footings set and who laid its cornerstone while the morning stars sang together and the angels shouted for joy? When God was creating us, the heavenly realm was not looking and going, Oh, what are you doing, mate? I don't even know what the morning stars are, but as we were being created, they were shouting for joy. And the angels were singing. And we run around sometimes, <coughs> excuse me, with this heavy load on our shoulders, feeling like we have to earn some religious brownie points to be acceptable to a God who laid down his life to make a way that we could never make ourselves. So Jesus comes into the temple dominated by this heavy yoke of religious expectation that was benefiting a small number and disadvantaging the majority. And he picks it up and he breaks it over his knee and he says, that's not the way my house is. My house is a house of prayer for all the nations. Not my building my people. And it's not a house of dead, boring, ghastly religious observance. It's a house of joyful prayer. It's a place where the joy of the Lord, His joy over us dominates and makes us strong to stand in the midst of the storms. Friends, we've had some storms in our nation. We've had economic storms. We've had geopolitical storms. We've had physical storms. The people of God are those that stand strong in the middle, not fueled just by our willpower, but by this burning, shining lamp of the prayerful life in the midst of everything going on that knows that even in the midst of the most painful trials, we are enjoyed. What does it mean for the people of God to become a house of prayer? It's not about more prayer meetings, although you might have those, I don't know. Your kitchen becomes a place of prayer. Your car becomes a mobile prayer house roaming the streets of Canterbury. Park benches on a sunny day when you're down there with your coffee become a house of prayer. Your children's bedrooms when you put them to sleep at night become a house of prayer. Your lounge becomes a house of prayer. Your boat, if you have one, becomes a house of prayer. My boat is literally called prayer. On the side of it, it's got the name Karakia. And you know what you'll hear if you're out on Tauranga Harbour? You'll see my boat ripping down the harbour. As my boat goes roaring past. I love the fact that my boat, the model is, it's, it's, it's so on the side, the model of the boat, it's, it's called an excess. And so on the side there, it says, on one side, it says excess prayer. And on the other side, it says prayer excess overwhelmed with prayer, immersed in prayer, can't wait to pray, 
because prayer is not just a monologue into the nowhereville, but it becomes a conversation where God speaks and He fills us with joy. You are enjoyed by God. And guess what? There's nothing you can do about it. You are enjoyed by God, and guess what else? There's nothing the devil can do about it. You are enjoyed by God, and there's no circumstance that can come thundering across the horizon that can rob that. He will still be enjoying you. You know, at the end of your life, if you live faithfully for Christ, and He looks at you and says, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not going to be like this. It's not going to be, oh, it's well done, good and faithful servant. I think it's going to be something a bit more like this. You know, like I'm a Kiwi and I know God speaks Kiwi. He's going to look at me and he's going to go, mate. Good on you, mate. He might even say, half that stuff you did, I didn't even tell you to do, but good on you for having a go, mate. <laughs> well, I'm one quarter Australian, so I can do it anyway. Good on you, mate. So anyway, what I want to do today is I want to ask the Lord to come amongst us as a family and break that heavy yoke of religious expectation that makes only a few of these religious elites carry the whole load because Jesus broke that and he gave it to the children and to the everyday people. Can I ask you this question? How many of you sometimes don't feel terribly spiritual? How many of you have noticed that things can happen on the way to church that make you feel very unspiritual? <laughs> have you ever sat in church and thought, I must be the least spiritual person in this whole gathering? I've sat in the front row of churches and I'm being like, I'm the least spiritual person that's ever sat in the front row of a church. And God just looks and he says, ha, <laughs> I enjoy you. I get up early in the morning and I go into the kitchen and I make myself a suitably strong cup of coffee for four o'clock in the morning. And I pull up the blind and I go and I sit in the bay window at the front of our house and I look out at the stars and I wait on God. Can I tell you sometimes when I sit there, and sometimes when you make space for God, it's going to be like His presence immediately comes and wraps you up like a blanket. And you're just going to sit there and it's going to be like, oh my gosh, what a privilege it is to be here with you. You know, there's going to be other times when you are immensely distracted. The other morning, I went out and I made my cup of coffee and I sat down and I found myself distracted by outdoor furniture. Then I was distracted by solar panels. And finally at about quarter past five, I gave up and went back to bed. And when I got back into, my, into bed, my wife said, I didn't expect to hear you back. I said, total disaster of a prayer time, epic fail. Have any of you had a prayer time like that? No one else is putting the hand up apart from me and you. 
you to have prayer time like that? But you know what? All prayer counts. And so you get up the next morning or you draw aside the next night and you come and you set yourself before the Lord and you say, Lord, here is my lukewarm, worldly-minded, distracted heart and I put it on the altar before you again today and I ask you to set me on fire. This beautiful, vibrant, growing community around us here, they don't need a religious church. They need a burning furnace of the love and power of God blazing in the heart of the community. They need a place where demons can be cast out, where the blind and lame are healed, where mental illness bows its knee to King Jesus because He's given us love, power and a sound mind. It's a place where young people should come and children should come and they should be so filled with hope that it's like their head will explode with excitement. And it's not contingent on whether you had a spiritual conversation on the car come in the car coming today or whether you came and you had a full-on argument as you were getting the kids into the car. It's all based not on your joy, but on His joy. And so I want to pray a grace over you as a church for that. And then particularly today, if you're willing, I and the ministry team, we want to lay hands on you for a fresh inferno of the love and power of presence of Jesus to be burning in you. And if you've got children, bring your children. Let's ask the Lord to light that beautiful fire of His love and presence in them that will burn for a lifetime. And one more thing, friend, if you're here today and you know nothing of this Jesus who died on the cross to pay the penalty for sin, if you know nothing other than myths and legends at best, or the name Jesus used as a swear word at worst, if you know nothing of this Jesus other than that, I would encourage you before you leave this place to ask this God who is more real than the person beside you, ask Him to show you. For me, my journey began with God, if you're real, show me. And here I am now nearly 40 years later. Don't leave the place today wondering if there is a God and wondering if your life ended today, if you would go to heaven. Don't, don't play roulette with eternity. All across the place, church, would you mind standing up? Who, who in the room feels... Bible says we can come boldly before the throne of grace. Do any of you feel bold to come before the Lord and receive help in time of need? Does anyone feel a boldness like a burning desire? I just need more of God today. Would you raise your hand if you feel that? Okay, okay church, just position yourself to receive. Just position yourself to receive. You just stand here for a minute. speaking over his oikos, his family. Jesus says, my house will be a house of prayer. And I thank you, Lord, that statement was death to the heavy yoke of religion. And it was life to the children and the common people as he took the kingdom from the religious elites and gave it to the every man, every woman, every person. 
thank You for Your Word in Isaiah. I will give them joy in my house of prayer. I declare over every person hearing this prayer, every person open to receive, I declare over you joyful prayer. I declare over you moments and times and seasons where the presence of God will wrap around you like a tangible blanket. And I speak over you the ancient words of Nehemiah. The joy of the Lord, God's joy over you is your strength. And some of you right now, you're going to feel like this immovable, indescribable strength flooding into your being. Not only am I gonna sing in the middle of the storm, but I'm gonna rejoice and I'm going to be filled with strength because my God enjoys me. Keep your eyes on the Lord. If you are here and you have been one of many of us who have just felt tolerated or maybe like you're not good enough, would you just raise your right hand right up high? Raise it right up high. Raise it right up high. Okay, friends, just have a quick look and and put your hand on the shoulder of the person beside you that they've got their hand raised up. Just keep your hand up until someone's put a hand on your shoulder. That heavy yoke breaks today in Jesus' Name. That heavy yoke breaks today in Jesus' Name. That heavy yoke of dead, heavy, burdensome, condemning religion, we break it in Jesus' Name. I speak over your life the joy of the Lord. God's joy over you is your strength. I break off you in the name of Jesus that lie that has you trying to earn what has been given to you freely from the cross. Those of you praying for these dear ones, I want you just to get ready. And Lord, we ask that you would release a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire to every one of them right now in Jesus' name. Right now in Jesus' Name, fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit and fire be released to you now in Jesus' Name. And I thank You, Lord, that heavy yoke, that heavy burden breaks today never to return. Friends, as you're praying for them, just speak over them that Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. Just speak it over them and lay hands on them one more time. Just release it. Release it, release it, release it. I speak strength over this Cornerstone family. I speak strength in the joy of the Lord over this Cornerstone family in Jesus' Name. How many of you that were prayed for there, you just you felt a, you felt a weight lifting off you? Give us a wave if you've just felt a weight lifting off you. Hallelujah. That's what our Jesus does. So friends, I'm gonna I'm gonna hand this microphone to uh, to Lyndon. He's gonna give us instructions on how we're gonna proceed from here. But can I encourage you, if you don't know the Lord, don't leave without at least asking the question and having someone pray for you. And uh, and maybe today would be a really good day to stand on the altar and get a fresh touch from God.